let me give you a couple of famous quotes by people. Uh, these are last words or close to their last words. Um, Emperor Julian, having attempted to reverse the official endorsement of Christianity by the Roman Empire, said this, last words, you have won, O Galilean. Speaking of Jesus. Um, let's see. Voltaire was asked uh, by a priest to renounce Satan and supposedly this is what he said, now, now, my good man, this is no time for making enemies. <laughs> kind of funny. Nostr Nostradamus, who is credited with, you know, predicting things and, you know, maybe some right, some wrong, I don't even know, said this, tomorrow I shall no longer be here. And um, the famous Satanist, Aleister Crowley, was quoted as saying this at his deathbed, I am perplexed. Satan, get out. And Joan Crawford, the actress, said to her housekeeper, who began to pray out loud, and I'll paraphrase this, darn it, <laughs> paraphrase, don't you dare ask God to help me. That's kind of amazing. And, um, but it makes you think about last words. And, you know, Rabbi Zacharias, a Christian apologist, said that dying lips seldom lie. And I have a quote that I want to, not a quote, but I have uh, something I'd like to share with you at the end that is um, someone's last words that I heard with my own ears. And, and if I weren't, weren't out there to hear it, uh, I couldn't testify about it, but I, I was there. I heard it. So let me remind me to mention that to you. It's a famous athlete. You may or may not know him, but he's a famous athlete nonetheless. Okay? And so the last time that we met together, um, Joseph and Jacob had met for the first time in 22 years. Uh, at this point, uh, Joseph is 39 years old, and Jacob is 130 years old. And what a reunion that was. Before we get into the text tonight in Genesis chapter 47, let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's in your mighty name that we pray, and thank you for just um, uh, kind of centering our, our time and our minds and our hearts on you tonight through worship. That's what worship does. It centers our heart, centers our mind, and gets us uh, to fix our eyes on you. Somehow the things that are around us that are so important just seem to be minimized when we focus in on you and the bigness of, of who you are and what you are and what you do for us. And so, God, we, um, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, this opportunity that we have together to come together and to sing praises and to worship you as a, as, a, as, a, as a unit, as a family, as your church. And now, God, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit uh, through your word and you give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say. Lord, we recognize that um, life is short and you, we hear those st statements like that all the time, but it really is short. And, Lord, that uh, your word tells us to number our days, uh, to, to remember that uh, uh, we're not going to be here on this planet forever. And so, Lord, that you would help us to live with intentionality and we'll live with purpose each day for your glory and for your mighty name, O oh Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 47, Joseph was the 
uh, was the consummate administrator and manager. I mean, um, uh, if Joseph were alive today, he would be, you know, one of those 22-year-old billionaires or something like that. I just read about that. There's a young lady in Hong Kong who's like 24 years old, and she's a billionaire. I did not bother to read how she made so much money so quickly. Uh, but I think her daddy was pretty rich, too. That doesn't always happen that way, but sometimes it does. And, you know, in our economy uh, today, uh, you know, back in the day, in the, in, the, in the 70s and 80s, and when you get a little bit older, you could say back in the day, right? You have to be at least 40 years old to say back in the day, I think. But back in the day, we had terms for those kinds of people. They were called yuppies. And, of course, if you were black, you were a buppy instead, a black urban professional. Um, but... Uh, uh, and the yuppies were, were the, the, uh, a group of kids who had gone to college and made the right choice to major in computer science and maybe even engineering and things like that, but understood that by using computers and, and getting on the, on the wave of computers that they could make a whole bunch of money, and a whole bunch of people made a whole bunch of money. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of people lost a whole bunch of money who chose to stay in school and now follow them, right? Uh, so anyway... Joseph was one of these guys that was an amazing administrator, and if he were alive today, he would no doubt be, uh, you know, on the Forbes top 100 list, maybe top 10 list of, of wealthy people in the world, just because God had so blessed him. We don't read anywhere about Joseph asking for this kind of wisdom. We can believe that he was more than just a gifted administrator and a manager, but he was gifted from above, just like King Solomon was asked whatever he wanted from God. Now, what I'd like you to do is, is turn to someone next to you, and if God came to you and said, ask of me anything you want, I will give it to you, what would you ask him? Just, just talk to your neighbors just for a second. Just turn the air. You can have whatever you want, God says. What would you ask? What would you say? Oh, boy. Remember, you're in church now, so... You can have whatever you want. <laughs> now, let me just say this. Having answered that question, that the Lord would not ask that question of you if he could not trust you with the answer. He would not ask you that if he could not trust you with the answer. Some of the things that we don't have is because the Lord knows we can't trust us with them. But... There are things he can trust us with. <laughs> Joseph was trusted with amazing administrative abilities. I believe that came from God. I believe that was a supernatural gift. Just like King Solomon was given wisdom like none other. None other. There's no one who can compare to the wisdom that Solomon had. God gave him that. He wasn't just something he picked up at university, or it wasn't because he you know, went to the school of hard knocks or came from the streets or whatever. No, he got that from and so Joseph, everything as we've been reading about this amazing young man, everything that he touches turns to gold. And, and, and that's because the Lord is with him. Well, uh, he's 39 years old. He, he meets up with his father, who is now 130. And uh, the famine in the land is continuing on. And Pharaoh is becoming richer and richer and richer. You know what's interesting about famines? There are, no, there are those who know how to make money during famines. 
there are there are wise ones who know how to prosper during times of famine. Well, Joseph was one of those. You look at chapter 47, verse 14, it says, uh, verse 13 says, Now there was no food in the land because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished before the, because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they uh, brought, bought. And Joseph bought, uh, brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Okay, now you remember there would be seven years of, of plenty, of bounty, and Joseph was storing up grain. Then there would be seven years of famine. This is the seven years of famine. Okay, look at verse 16 says, um, well, verse 15 says, and when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die in your presence for our money is gone? So basically, there is, no one has any, money means nothing. Okay, in the time of famine, if you don't have food to eat, who needs money? Because every, they brought all of their money to Joseph, all of it. No one has any money, but no one cares because they have bread. They have wheat, okay? And so uh, so they've given all of their, <laughs> you know, all of our money is gone. Listen, man, we have no more money to give you. It, you know, and that's probably true. Verse 16, then Joseph said, give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock since all your money is gone. And, and so they brought their livestock into Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses, flocks, herds, donkeys. And he fed them in exchange for the food and all their livestock. Uh, uh, okay, and so the, the, the end of that year came, and then they came back to him. So he's got all their money, and he has all of their cattle, sheep, whatever, donkey, donkeys, goats. He's got it all, everything, right? I mean, they got a big old barn in the back with no animals in it. Pharaoh got it all, but we're surviving. We're eating. It's okay, all right? And then verse 18, and when the year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from the Lord that our money is all spent. Our cattle are the Lord's. There's nothing left in our Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land shall be, will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. Now, technically, it was already his anyway. But because they lived in a society that believed there could be home ownership and land ownership, uh, Pharaoh allowed that. And so these people had land, and now they've got nothing but themselves in their land. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon the, uh, the land. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. And, you know, this makes me question this. During the time of plenty, was anyone saving up anything? No, no. It, 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 during the land of plenty, the time of plenty, was anybody saving up anything for a rainy day? And even if they would, they probably would not imagine these seven years of, of drought. There's seven years of famine. And so anyway, he buys up all the land. Uh, thus, all the land becomes Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them from the city to one in uh, Verse 23 through 26 says, then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now, 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 now watch this. Here is seed for you. And you may sow the land. 
Well, whose land are they sowing? It's Pharaoh's land now, but that's okay. We're alive. We have bread. And at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh. Now, how did Joseph know there would be a harvest? Because he knows the the famine's going to last seven years. Isn't that interesting? So he says at the end of that seven-year time frame, he says, here's some seed. Because I happen to know on good authority that this famine's coming to an end. And, and, And by faith, even. He gives them. And why are you giving us seed? We don't even know how long this. It's been six and a half years. Don't worry, it's going to be over soon. Here's some seed. Here's some seed. Okay, by faith he gives them that. And then, but then there's a requirement though, because because he's you know you get the idea that Joseph is always thinking ahead. He's always thinking ahead. Okay. Oh, let's see. Uh, okay, verse 24 then. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own. Uh, you, uh, uh, for seed of the field, and for your food, and for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in your sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priest did not become Pharaoh's. Okay, so, so, Joseph, how's it going? Well, you know, so far, here's the inventory, uh, sir. We got, we got everybody's money. We got everybody's land. What, what else? What else do we have? We have all the livestock. We got everything. And, and we kind of own them, too, but, you know. And, and, and oh, by the way, uh, we, we give them seed back now. And we're going to get... 20% of that in the future from this point on. So just so you know, we are always going to be taking you like, man, that was so cool. You know, 20%, you know, some people may think that's exorbitant, that's crazy. The other people will think, hey, 20% wouldn't be all that bad if that was my tax. Uh, but when it comes to life, hey, these people owe Joseph their life. And so in the, in the whole story of Joseph, we see that God is working God has brought him through all of this trial and all of this difficulty to save lives. Because, because without Joseph, none of this would have happened. And, and Israel, the nation, Jacob, and what's soon to be the nation of Israel would not have survived. Uh, so, so, so there's a purpose in, in, in all of that. Thousands, multiplied thousands are saved from starvation. It kind of reminds me of the rule of Christ during the thousand-year reign called the millennium. We talked about that last Sunday. It says this in Isaiah chapter 2. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. Uh, There will be... Uh, there he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords. And this is that quote that's near the uh, United Nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. No Nation will no longer fight against nation nor uh, train for war anymore. And so uh, Joseph, as an administrator and really as a king, is almost like a little type of, of Jesus as the king and 
and the ultimate administrator, if you would, of the world during, during the millennium reign. Okay, chapter 47 and verse 27 now. Uh, a little bit about the population of Israel. And um, uh, it says this. It says, Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Isn't that interesting? The Egyptians don't have any land, but Joseph is taking care of his people. It's just interesting, okay? Um, Dr. Henry Morris calculates the initial group of five, Jacob and his four wives, that grew into a, a, a family of about 150 years. Um, and that uh, if that's the growth rate, and that's just over 6% per year, that he estimates by the time uh, that they left for the exodus, 430 years later, there would be uh, several million descendants if they kept that same 6% growth rate. Okay, So we don't know how many people actually leave Egypt in 430 years, but it could be as much million, it could be millions at that point, all right? All right, um, now it's, uh, Joseph is 147 years old. Verse 28, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years, but he has some unfinished business to tend to. Jacob knew that Egypt was not his home, and he did not want to be buried there, okay? Jacob knew that Egypt was not his home, and he did not want to be buried there. All right, so chapter 20, uh, uh, verse 29 through 31 says this. It says, when the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. Okay, why did he have him place his hand under his thigh? You might remember how Abraham had a servant, Eleazar, I believe his name was, and he told his servant to go and find a son, a, a, a wife for his son. And he said, what, come and place your hand under my thigh. It was a way of making an oath is essentially what it was. So we read that and we go, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. No, no, it doesn't. Okay. And um, please do not uh, bury me in Egypt, verse 30. Uh, but when I die, when I lie down with my fathers, you shall bury me uh, out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship uh, at, at the head of, of the bed. Amen. Hebrews 11 says this, 11.13 says, um, speaking of these saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of these, these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them uh, afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And so Ab uh, uh, Jacob dies uh, but in faith, even though he hadn't received the promises, he embraced it and, and confessed that the promise was true, even though he hadn't received it yet. He knew that God had promised them that land. God did not promise them. They didn't want Egypt. They wanted their land. And so he says, when I die, don't bury me here. Take me to my land and, and bury me there. First Peter 
2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you, or I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so we're to live as pilgrims and strangers on earth. It is not a good thing when a Christian is at home on planet earth. Uh, when all of our uh, our values, our earthly values, when all of our goals are earthly goals, when all of our focus is an earthly focus, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to remember that this is not our citizenship, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are pilgrims, we're strangers, we're passers-byers. This is, this is not the place to, to root down, uh, to settle in and hunker down, knowing that our life is but a mist and that we won't be here all that long in, in comparison to all of eternity. That's why Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven, but not on earth, where moth, rust, thieves can all just take, steal, destroy, all that happens. He goes, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now listen, Jacob wanted to make sure that even in his burial, it would be a testimony to his life as a follower of the one true God. He wanted to make sure that even in his burial, it would be a testimony of his life as a follower of the one true God. Don't bury me here in Egypt. That's not the testimony of my life. Take me back to Canaan. Bury me there, because God is going to one day give us as a nation that lamb, and I want my burial place to be there. One day, your funeral and your burial will be a testimony to what? What will it testify to? I have done my share of funerals, folks. I have. I have. You know, uh, I've done some weddings that maybe, you know, we're kind of like, well, maybe I could do that one over again, but I've never done a bad funeral. But I've done some funerals where I just, I just, I just, I walk out of the building and I want to get in my car and drive and never come back again, only because they're so gut-wrenching, they're so excruciating, they're so difficult. Uh, I did a funeral once for someone who, who died a, a death. They, they, they didn't need to die, but they were in the wrong place at the right time, and their lifestyle got them in that situation. And everyone in their family was telling me when this boy was a young man, he gave his life to Jesus, and there was no evidence of that at his death. And I'm charged with the responsibility to try to say what? That this man knew the Lord? There was, and people in the audience are, sh are going to shake their head and go, really? I mean, he died basically in a gun battle in a place like that? And this man was a Christian? How can I dishonor the Lord Jesus and say that? And his life was, a, his, his death and his burial was a testimony to the life that he lived. And there was no sense lying about it. The young man did not have to die. He didn't have to die, but he did. And he died because of his own choices. And that's the reality. I know you don't say those things at a funeral, right? How could, you can't say that. But that's what happened. One day, your funeral and your burial will be a testimony to what? To what will it testify? Living with the end in mind is a pretty strategic way to live your life. Living with the end in mind is a pretty strategic way to live your life. Living with eternity in mind is an even more strategic way and a more significant way 
to live your life. Because if you live your life with eternity in mind, that will affect every, every day of your life. It will affect the decisions that you make. It will affect where you go, where you don't go. It will affect the things you do and don't do. John Bacon, the 18th century English sculptor, said this on his deathbed. What I was as an artist seemed to be of some importance while I lived. But what I really am as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing of importance to me now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, I can't wait to get to the end. Chapter 48. Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he takes his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. And when uh, now uh, Israel, also known as Jacob, but, but he's, he's called Israel, one who is submitted to God. It says in verse 2, uh, Israel collected his strength and sat up in his bed when he, when he had heard. It says, verse 3, Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, a.k.a. Bethel, place of worship, that place of rest, that place of the altar, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to you and your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Going back to the covenant promises of God that God made Abraham, Genesis chapter 17. And he uses a name for God that's called El Shaddai. It means the Lord God, our provider, God Almighty. When you see God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before uh, I came to, to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. So Jacob, or Israel in this case, adopts Joseph's sons. He, he, he adopts them. Uh, listen, Abraham at his death desired to find a wife for his son Isaac and then transferred a blessing unto him. Isaac, at his death, wanted a bowl of his favorite soup and wanted to transfer his bl the blessing onto the son that wasn't God's choice. Jacob, uh, at his death, wants to make Joseph his firstborn son and adopt his sons as if they were his own sons. Um, uh, just, just a note on this. 2 Timothy, Paul the Apostle says this, and he's nearing the end of his life. When you read 2 Timothy, this is, it's not too long after that that Paul the Apostle was beheaded in Rome. It says this, 2 Timothy, uh, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. And so Joseph will also replace Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. Joseph's two sons are going to replace Simeon and Levi, Jacob's second and third sons. Now, watch this now. Um, verse 5, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt, where I came to you in, e in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. Those are Joseph's sons, as Reuben and Simeon are. Those were Jacob's second and third born. 
But your your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Um, If you go down to verse 8, then Israel, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Now, he's old. He's about to die. He he can't see. And and Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. Notice whom God has given me. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God let me see your children as well. Joseph took them on his knees and bowed his face uh, to the ground. Listen, something significant is about, he's about to, to, this is important, he's about to die, and he needs to pronounce this blessing. And so Joseph's two sons are going to replace Simeon and Levi, and Jacob's, uh, Jacob's second and third sons, and it, the Levites were given no inheritance in the promised land, but they had cities scattered throughout the land, and Simeon was absorbed into the tribe of Judah. Why? Listen, God was punishing Levi and Simeon for their anger and slaughter of the men at Shechem. Do you remember that? Do you remember their sister Dinah had been raped? And he told the men of Shechem because the, the man who raped their daughter wanted to marry her, and they said only under one condition must be circumcised. And when they circumcised themselves, those two sons, like on the second day, when, you know, of course these men can't move, they went in and they murdered them all. Remember that? We, we, we read about that. And so Levi and Simeon, in their anger, slaughtered innocent men. God was punishing them, and they are about to be replaced by Joseph's sons. Okay? Now, Five times in the book of Genesis, the birth order is, 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 is reversed. Why is that important? Because the coveted prize is the firstborn son. The firstborn son. He's the protector should the father die. He's the protector of the daughters of the family. He's the, uh, uh, the one that, uh, in this particular case, the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will go on to that next person. Right? So that's critical. But we've seen times in the Bible, where the in Genesis even, where the birth order has been reversed. Remember? Abel over Cain? How about Isaac over Ishmael? How about Jacob over Esau? That happened to Jacob. Remember Jacob came out grabbing his brother's heel? And the whole time he was fighting for something, he already had, he already had the blessing of God, he already had the birthright, but he kept striving to get it and swindled Jacob to get it? Or, or Isaac to get it, which was already his anyway? in this case, it would be Joseph and not Reuben. The birthright would not pass on to Reuben, but to Joseph. Now look what he does here. He's actually going to pick Ephraim over Manasseh. It's interesting. Watch what happens. Verse 11 says, and Israel said to Joseph, uh, well, okay, verse 12, then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed, uh, from his knees and bowed his face to the ground. Then Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right and brought them close to him, okay? Because that's what he's expecting. He's expecting, of course, he's going to place his right hand on the oldest child. 
because that's what you do. You're going to bless the firstborn, right? But Israel stretched out his hand and laid his hand on Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, crossing his hands, though Manasseh was the firstborn. So he does this. pronounce a blessing here. Okay, look at what he says. And he blessed Joseph. He blessed Joseph. Well, well, he's, I thought he was going to bless Ephraim and Manasseh, but he blesses Joseph first. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, Joseph, this is the first time that we see Joseph um, a little bit stirred in heart, right? Look what it says in verse. Then Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head. It displeased. This is the first time we see Joseph displeased displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. He's like, oh, man, man, no, man, dad, no, that's not how, no, you got it all wrong, dad. You got to take this, no, this hand goes on this boy. But don't, uh, 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 Israel, he knows what he's doing. Look at what he says. Oh. Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel shall pronounce blessings saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you. Oh, there's a blessing on Joseph now. I'm about to die, uh, Israel said, Jacob said, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. And I will give you one portion more than your brother's which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. And so we learned something new about Jacob, uh, that he was a bit of a warrior then. So we don't read about him going out and fighting. It was always Esau. We, we read about Joseph pretty much always being on the run. But but here in this instance, there was some reward that uh, that he had as a result of this war that he took with by, by the sword. And that ends up in, in Joseph's lap, so to speak. Okay, And so Jacob blesses Esau, Ephraim and Manasseh would go on to become strong leaders in Israel, and he also receives some land that Jacob had, had taken in battle. Here's the point of that part right there. The point is, is, that, is that Jacob is confident in spite of his powerful son standing before him, and you got to figure jo jo Joseph pretty much always gets it right. Uh, and 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 here's so here's here's his powerful son whom he is indebted to for his life, and yet yet he still pronounces the blessing this way, uh, because no this is what God wants to do. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's just what God wants to do. And, and 
until he pronounced. And that's, that shows us something about, about, about Jacob, about Jacob and, and his willingness uh, to follow the Lord in that and not just do what was customary or what was supposed to be done in those times, okay? Um, chapter 49, uh, we have uh, the story of, uh, because there's, there, uh, J- Jacob is not done yet. Uh, there, there's more that, that needs to take place here. And uh, I think we could probably, are you guys okay? You want to do it next week or you want to, you want to, you want to, we can just cut through this, take us about 10 minutes. Would that be all right? Are you sure? You know, because uh, some of y'all kind of fading on me. It's been a long day in the valley. That's all right. But uh, all right, we'll, 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 we'll try to get through this and we can just hammer out chapter 50 and do a little recap next week. All right. How's that sound? All right. This section's cool. I'm not sure about the others. All right. Here we go. Um, Verse, uh, chapter 40, chapter 49, it says that Jacob summoned his sons and said, okay, can, we, can I ask you a question? What have his sons been like up to this point? You remember? Yeah, they, they've, been, uh, they've been shady. Yeah. Now, remember, these are the ones that sold Joseph. And his, remember, those, yeah, those sons. I mean, remember, he's got 12 sons. Uh, Joseph is cool, but, you know, them other 11, you know. <laughs> Now he needs he needs to deal with them too, and so we'll we'll kind of we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we'll look at some significant points. Jacob, Jacob summoned his sons and said, "Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what shall befall you in the days to come." So how do they feel? They're like, you know, this could be really good or this could turn out really bad, because they will be blessed. Uh, you could say, based on the way that they live their lives. They will be blessed by Jacob the way that they live their lives. Jacob makes a prediction about each son, and the way that they lived plays a part in that prophecy. Yeah, that tells me that our past affects our present, and it affects our future. Uh, You could ask Jacob about that, who deceived his father Isaac, and then had his own sons deceive him, okay? So, listen to your father, uh, uh, listen to Israel, your father. Let's look at Reuben. Uh, This is the firstborn, by the way. Reuben is the firstborn son, but he has lost his, the privilege of the firstborn son. It says this, verse three: That Reuben, you are my firstborn by might, and my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence. There it is. I picture Reuben going. Well, I pretty much already figured that. <laughs> I figured I'd be the firstborn after. Yeah. Uh, un- uh, uh, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. That's it. That's all he's got from his dad. What does all that mean? He was the firstborn. He had preeminence, a double share of honor, a double share of inheritance, but he forfeited it. That now goes to Joseph and his privileges as a priest being the firstborn. That's going to go to Levi and um, uh, his right to be the head of the tribes of Israel. That's going to go to Judah. It says he's as unstable as water. Water without restraint, think Niagara Falls, because he went so far as to sleep with his father's concubine. That's it. That's all we got. Next son. Okay. Um, 
incidentally, regarding Reuben in Joshua chapter 22, his descendants eventually almost caused a civil war by putting an altar on the west bank of the Jordan and later refused to go help Israel fight in a war that came up. Verse 5 through 7, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. That can't be good. Let our let my uh, glory be united um, uh, with their let not my glory be united with their assembly because in their anger they slew men and in their self will they lamed oxen. Accursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. From Simeon and Levi would come Aaron, Moses, uh, Eli, and even John the Baptist. Yet these men, they're men of violence. These are the ones who killed the men of Shechem. The the Simeonites had to share their land with Judah, and the Levites had no portion of land as a result of that. Verse 8 through 12, Judah, your brother shall praise you, uh, your Hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. For the prey of my son, you have gone up. Uh, gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. As a lion, he dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between the feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties the foal to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. He washes the garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are, are dull of, from wine and his teeth white from milk. Well, I'm not sure I know what all that, but Judah means praise. Judah's the fourth son from Leah. Uh, uh, no birthright, uh, exceptional dignity, uh, spiritual powers. Uh, two other brothers were to bow before Judah. Like a lion, he would pursue his enemies until victory, until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is a messianic prophecy that has to do with Jesus. And with David sitting on the throne, that was secured, and eventually Jesus would come from that, and the scepter would not depart. Uh, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So that's a... Why Judah? Didn't he? Isn't he the one who sold Joseph into slavery? Uh, isn't he the one who tried to def- defraud his daughter-in-law? Well, remember in chapter 44, he was willing to be a slave uh, for Benjamin's sake and um, uh, because he didn't want to put his father Jacob through the misery of losing his, his, his young son. Ben. He was repentant, and we see God's grace in that. God's grace in that. Verse 13 is Zebulun. You can read that on your own. Verse 14 uh, through 15, Ishakar would be a strong donkey, powerful beast of burden they are, submits, uh, a beast that submits without resistance. That prophecy would be fulfilled. Verse 16 and 17, Dan, the first son of Bilhah, would be a strong defender of his people, uh, greatly feared by his neighbors, remarkably. That, that prophecy was fulfilled as Dan was willing to move to the north, a much more dangerous territory. Samson came from that tribe. Uh, And we read about Benjamin. Uh, Verse 27 says this, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. You think, okay, what is that all about? Well, I don't know, but Saul and Esther and Paul the apostle would come from the lineage of Benjamin. Uh, so you can kind of read through that, and uh, we might spend, we might break up a, a few more things next week. Um, 
Verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites at the horse's heels till his rider falls backward. But I salvation, I wait, O Lord. Uh, so there's I- interesting things that um, um, let's read about Joseph, though, because that's important. And then we'll, we'll finish up. It says this, verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by the by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The archer archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your father who helps you. And by the mighty, the almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his his brothers. He is set apart. Quite a, quite a blessing, Joseph, and, and that was to be expected. And so, Saul, uh, uh, King Saul, in the Old Testament, his last words were this: "I have, I have erred exceedingly and played fool." King David said to Solomon in his last words, he said, "Know the God of your fathers. Know by observing, reflecting, and experiencing Him. Serve Him with the whole heart." Paul the Apostle said, "I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course." And um, um, what we learn from all of this is we don't get the we don't get the idea that Joseph's brothers really lived with the limited mind or really lived that fast or really lived that perfect. Joseph stepped into everything that God had for him and gained much. His brothers didn't and lost much. So, um, last words. Um, you ever thought about that? will be the last words we might say on this side of the earth. Who knows? <laughs> Probably not something that you rehearse. Maybe if you know that you're going to die, I, I assume people might rehearse it. I don't know. But they could say, um, so years ago, and I've shared this story Years ago, um, we we you know we get calls all the time for things at, at the church. And people, sometimes people just go down the phone book and they call, and, uh, you know, who knows what various things are going on. So we got a call one day, regular miscellaneous day, somebody called. There's a guy on the phone, his uncle is in the hospital and he's dying, and he just wants someone to come and pray with him. And we were kind of in a, a pastor's meeting at the time, and. Uh, Who is it? And it was a guy, guy from out of town, uh, but but his uncle is a, uh, a pretty famous pastor. And so pastor at that time looks at me, Pastor Pat. <laughs> he looks at me, and he says, well, why don't you go? He 
you kind of like you know, understand that world better than we do, why don't you go down and, and, and pray with pray with the man? I said, okay. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of in awe, but not like really. I'm like kind of like, wow, man, that's powerful. I don't know what to expect. I don't. So I go, and I go, and Sunrise Hospital, and um, and the gentleman meets me outside the room, and he says, my uncle is dying, and I don't know if he's a Christian yet. And he said, he needs prayer. He goes, I want to know that he's come to know the Lord. I want to know that. And I'm like, wow. I mean, dude, talk about waiting for the last minute to come to Christ. You had your whole life to do this, right? But most people don't prepare for the end, especially spiritually. So, and I'm thinking, ah. in the room we go. And I'm praying, Lord, To make matters more challenging, because of the medication he's on, he's not responsive, but he's alive. He's been under, so to speak. Not like a coma, but he's been medically induced, you know, coma, whatever it is. I don't know. He's out. He hasn't said anything in days, right? And I'm like, how in the world are you going to get a response out of this man? Because, but I've learned that even though the body isn't responsive, the spirit still can be. And so can the mind. Just because no one's moving, doesn't. that's why when you go visit someone in the hospital, you better be careful what you say. Because they come out, they, I heard you talking about me. Whoa, 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 no, you didn't hear nothing. Yeah, I heard, I heard it all, right? That's happened. It's, no, that's for real. That's why they tell you when someone's dying, you go and say what you need to say to them, even if they're not responsive, because they, they might still be able to hear, and they probably can. So I go in, and I start praying. And I'm like, I'm praying. And, and and this 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 and he's probably he's not a young man but but his, his nephew kind of kind of just kind of like he, he just kind of like just falls over his uncle and I just kind of take a step back and I'm in awe of just me in this situation and he starts uncle please if you can hear me you and he he, he breaks you need you're going to go see Jesus Please, give your life. Do you, will you give your life to him right now, uncle? You know, like somehow, say, do, if, Lord, give your heart to, do you want, and he asked the question, he says, do you receive Jesus Christ in your life as your Lord and your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins? And I'm like, and the man says, yes, I heard it with my own ears. No, no, this is not some story I read. I was standing right there. And the, and, the, and the nephew just weeps at the top of his lungs. I said, look at God. I'm like, well, my work's done here, right? <laughs> right. I, I was a spectator. And I got an opportunity to preach this man's funeral. Didn't know him, never met him. I got an opportunity to preach his funeral. Pancho Gonzalez. If you're a tennis fan, you know that name. Hall of Fame tennis player. Yeah. And the, I, I heard it, and I preached that at the funeral. The last word he said was yes. Ha, ha, ha. Hallelujah. I was there. It was an amazing thing. Amazing thing. And so... Um, 
Um, Got to prepare for the end. Got to prepare for that day. Don't wait till the last minute. Don't wait last second. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your help and your Holy Spirit. Lord, you heard the testimonies here of just how many would not be here today if it hadn't been for you. People shake their heads. Maybe wouldn't even be alive. But Lord, um, we rejoice in your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. And we rejoice that we have life and that you chose us before we didn't choose you. We didn't like figure it out. We didn't just all of a sudden, uh, uh, there's got to be a better way than this. How about you try Jesus? No, no. Lord, you called us. You grew us. You opened up our minds and our hearts and our understanding. You, you, You put something within us that desired you. We didn't just do it on our own. As one man said recently, everybody wants the same thing. We want to be loved. We want to be loved. Because that's what everyone wants. Go to whatever culture you want to go to. That's what everyone wants. So so Jesus, your say, come to me, clean yourself up, cut your hair, change this, rearrange that. You don't say that. You say, you come to me and let me live through you. All those things will be purged. But Lord, it is not about what we need to change to come to you. It's about coming to you. And in that, Lord, you promise all of the promises of your book are laid out for us. And so, Lord, we, we receive you tonight in our hearts and minds. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We thank you, God, that, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you in a personal way, Lord, that by your spirit you would keep on that full court press. And that is a, not a, a bad way to say it. I think it's more than that. That you pursue us. That you'll go to the ends of the earth and beyond. You'll go to a comatose man in a hospital to reach him because of your love. So Lord, help us not to be religious. Help us not to just simply believe that by following Jesus that will please you. That's partially true, but you, you're after so much more than that. Lord, you want our hearts. And you've illustrated your love for us by sending Jesus. The ultimate expression of love. Love incarnate. So we love you, God. We thank you. We give you this song. Walk with us your grace. In your mercy. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Yea, God.